We'll go ahead, if you would, and take your copy of God's Word and make your way back to the book of Nehemiah as we continue with the second installment of our Swords and Sledgehammers series where we're looking at the concept of being kingdom builders but also kingdom warriors through the example of Nehemiah's leadership in rebuilding the torn down walls of Jerusalem. And as we entered into this narrative last week, we found Nehemiah serving as the king's cupbearer but heavily burdened over the condition his people and his home were in. So God had placed it upon his heart a plan to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And when we left off last week, we had just seen Nehemiah ask the king for permission to go and do it. So as Nehemiah is sitting next to the king's throne, the king realizes that something's weighing heavily on Nehemiah's heart. And so we ask him why he's so sad. Nehemiah, Nehemiah tells him, well, how can I be happy? How can I be in a good mood when my people are scattered and my city is smoking? And so where we left off in verse 5, we're going to pick up in verse 6 tonight. And God's word says in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 6, And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. And then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river, and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sambat at the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I rose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. Sometimes you don't have to be so quick to share what God speaks. There is a time when you have to let the seed have the opportunity to grow into the tree. Pick back up. Verse 13, I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate. Really? You know, we've got all these cool names for the different walls and the gates, the valley gate and the dragon spring and the king's pool, and then we come up with the dung gate? Man, somebody had a lapse in judgment on that one. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up, and build. Everybody say, rise and shine. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sambat at the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, 
They jeered at us and despised us and said, What are these things you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we as servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. When I was a kid, and really for about as long as I lived with my parents, I can remember every Sunday morning my dad would come into my room to wake me up for church, and he would walk over to my bed, and he would pat me on the shoulders, and he would say, wake up, bud, it's time to rise and shine. In other words, it's time to get up. It's time to take action. And at this point, God has put it on the heart of Nehemiah to rebuild Jerusalem. And Nehemiah may not have known all the steps that needed to be taken at that moment, but the plan was in place. It was time for him to rise and shine. It was time for him to get up and take action. He has a passion for the work. He's labored in prayer. God has given him the plan. Now it's time to execute it. So the same is true for us. When we've allowed God to develop a passion within us, when we've labored in prayer, when He's given us a plan for building, now it comes time for us to take action. It comes time for us to execute the plan that He lays out in front of us. And when we do so, there are some things that we can expect. And so with God's help, I want to show you some of those things tonight. When you get up, when you take action, you can expect to be blessed, not blocked. Go back and look at Verses 6 and 7 in chapter 2, just to rehash things, because we bit off a pretty good chunk of Scripture there. So just to remind you, it says in verse 6, And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him. It's an interesting parenthetical there, and we'll talk about that here in a minute. How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. When you're going to get up and get busy for the kingdom building of God, you can expect to be blessed, not blocked. When Nehemiah asked the king for permission to go and rebuild, the king responded with a question, how long will you be gone? Nehemiah gave him an answer, and we're not told the amount of time that he told the king that he would be gone, but it was obviously a pleasing and acceptable answer to the king. So after Nehemiah responded, he tells him, okay, that's good. Go ahead and go about your business, Nehemiah. God's hand of blessing is already on Nehemiah, granting him success for the work. And on the surface, you know, it may seem like a small thing. Well, so what, Trey? So the king gave him some work release from being the cupbearer. Big deal. Why is that such a big ordeal? Why, do you, why are you saying God's already granting him success because there's so much more to it than what you realize. Tell someone sitting next to you there's more to it. Come on, you got to tell them there's more to it. There's more to it than what you realize. There's more than what's just on the surface. God's best work usually happens behind the scenes. There's more to it. So what you don't realize and what you may not have noticed at the beginning, this is where hopefully God's going to help me show you guys some things, is that He grants permission without asking permission. And then we have this very convenient parenthetical phrase that tells us the queen was sitting beside him. Listen, you guys will understand this. And when I say you guys, I mean you men. You men will understand this on a whole nother level one day when you get married. And that's the fact that you don't make decisions without permission. A lot of things change throughout history. One thing has never changed. 
The man in the house only acts when he's given permission from the woman of the house. And so when I say the hand of God was with Nehemiah to have success, I mean the hand of God was with Nehemiah to have success because I promise you, as the king is getting ready to answer this question, the queen, parenthetical, sitting beside him, was giving him one of these. But he never batted an eye. He didn't ask her for her opinion. They didn't deliberate over it. He responded instantly, okay, go ahead and go. But that's not, the, that's not the best part. The best part is that if you were to look back in Ezra chapter 4, which is the book before Nehemiah, this same exact king had already made a decree by law under the king's order that no one was to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. This is the same king who just previously in Ezra said, nobody's going to rebuild that wall. As a matter of fact, I'm so serious about it, I'm going to put my stamp of decree upon it. Nobody will rebuild that wall. And yet he's given Nehemiah permission. God's hand of success is on Nehemiah right now. And I'm telling you guys, when you submit to God's will and God's plan in your life and you get up and you move, you can expect to be blessed, not blocked. This mission could have already been been shot down from the very beginning in its earliest phase. But when God's plan is in place, there's nothing that can block it. In His sovereignty, it will be done. Nothing can stop it. No king, no queen, no law of man. If God says it, He will do it. And if He has placed something in your life for you to pursue, if He has put a plan in front of your path and you get up and you go, I promise you He will bless it. It's time to rise up and take action. There's a reason he's placed a purpose and a passion and a desire on your heart. Get up and get after it. I think most of us need to stop looking at what you think could be potential blockers to his plan and start seeing potential blessings in his plan. Now, I'm not saying that you won't run into some difficulty at times. I'm not saying that the road won't get bumpy every now and then. But what I am saying is there's a difference between a speed bump and a roadblock. And to be truthful with you guys, the only thing that I see blocking people of God from executing His plan is our own inaction. That one stinks, doesn't it? You know why? Because it just ruined every excuse we were making about why we're not moving for the glory of God. Get up and move. The only thing blocking you from experiencing and fulfilling God's plan that He has and God's purpose that He has for you on this earth to spread His glory and to make His name known is your own inaction. Don't be scared of being blocked because God already has plans for you to be blessed. If you're going to get up and take action for the glory of God, if you're going to get to work building His kingdom, there's a second part to it. We can expect to receive provision, not prevention. Go back and look at verse 8 with me. It says, In a letter to Asaph, so Nehemiah recommends him giving him a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. Nehemiah had asked the king for a letter to Asaph so that he could cut down some timber to rebuild the walls and rebuild the gates of the city. And once again, Permission granted. By accident? I don't think so. 
Nehemiah recognized that at the end of verse 8, he says, because the good hand of my God was upon me. He realized where his success was coming from. Don't get too big-headed. When you go to following God's plan for your life and you began to experience victory and success, you didn't do that, God did. But now he has access to all the building materials and supplies that were needed for the project. And it wasn't just that he got what he needed for building the wall. God took care of him to such an extent that he gave him extra materials to build his own place. That's how good God is though, right? He's a God of abundance. And he gives us more than we could ever ask or imagine. I don't think Nehemiah would have ever thought to ask for extra materials to build his own house. I think the Spirit of God planted that inside of his heart because when he realized that God was granting him success, he decided, maybe I'll just go for this. Hey, can I get some extra to you build my own house? Yeah, man. Go for it. God takes care of his own people. And what I'm trying to get you to see is that God will take care of you. God provides for his people who are obedient to his plan. There was no way, no way that God was going to call Nehemiah to this responsibility and then prevent him from being able to do it. No way was God going to do that. Why do we think any differently for ourselves? I see it all the time. People talk about how they feel like God's put this calling upon their life or He's given them a plan or He's given them a path to follow, but then they talk about how scared they are because they don't know how they will make it along the way. Man, if God calls you to it, as one preacher said, what? He will bring you through it. Amen? That's some country preaching up in here. If God calls you through it, brother, calls you to it, He'll bring you through it. But we do, we worry, we stress, we have anxiety. God's, God's giving me a plan, God's giving me a path. I just don't know how He's going to provide. Well, you don't have to worry about that. Why? Because you're not the one providing it, God is. Yeah, you would have to worry if you were the one responsible for the provision, but you're not. God takes care of it. And, and so many people are scared to follow God's plan because they don't trust God's provision. You're scared to follow God's plan because deep down you don't trust God's provision. You worry, you doubt, you have concern. Well, I don't know how we'll make it. I don't know. I don't. And he's called you to be kingdom builders in all places. There's people in this room tonight. God has called you to be kingdom builders in all kinds of different places. Some of you are going to be teachers, doctors, nurses, coaches, business owners, hairstylists, electricians, plumbers, computer programmers, ministers, missionaries, and he will provide. He will provide academically. He will provide financially. He will provide physically whatever is needed. It's who he is. It's in his name for crying out loud. Jehovah Jireh means the Lord my provider. If he pushes you to it, he won't prevent you from it. It's crazy how we let the enemy twist things in our mind into thinking that God's brought me to this point and for some reason he's going to prevent me from going any further. Bogus. I can, I can show you. I can show you why it's crazy. Can I? Can I show you? If people of God were never obedient to the plan of God, you would never hear stories about the provision of God. They wouldn't be there. But because people are obedient, 
because God has a plan, then you can hear their testimony of how he provides. You can expect provision, not prevention. So rise up, men and women of God, rise up. Because he will provide. But there's one more thing that we can expect. And that's the fact that you can expect to experience rejection and rallying. So go back to verse 9. And it's kind of a big chunk of scripture, but I want to get it again just so it stays fresh in your mind. It says, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sambat at the Hornite and Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So now for the first time we see a little bit of opposition that Nehemiah is beginning to face. Verse 11, So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I rose in the night. I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. And I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. And then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool. But there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and expected the wall. And I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. So Nehemiah is expecting the wall. He's riding around the city and he's seeing the damage that's been done. And the officials did not know where I'd gone or what I was doing. I'd not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. And then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them the hand of my God had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. And so they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sam bowed at the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? You know, as Nehemiah continued to be obedient to God's plan and gather others to be a part, the opposition only became more vocal. And the same thing will happen in your life. The more fiercely you try to live for God, the more loudly the enemy will begin to speak against you. Listen, any time that you commit to following God's will, there will be those that oppose it. It's a guarantee. You'll be rejected, you'll be laughed at, you'll be made fun of, you'll be gossiped about. Ask Noah. Ask David. Ask Joseph, ask Peter, ask Paul, ask Jesus for crying out loud. Anytime you start trying to live for the will of God, there will be people that oppose it and that rise up against you. It will happen. And sometimes I think we get so worried about facing opposition or spiritual warfare beforehand that it keeps us from ever moving to begin with. But can I tell you guys something? If you won't rise up and move in God's plan, you don't have to worry about opposition. You don't. Because the enemy doesn't have to fight immobile builders. If you're not moving for the glory of God, you don't have to worry about spiritual opposition. Because you're the last person the enemy is going to pick a fight with. As a matter of fact, you're exactly where he wants you to be. But the positive is, when you commit to following God's will, you can expect to see rallying also. It's not just rejection, it's a rally. 
And I'll show you guys this in the text. You know, some will reject you, but others will rally to you to join in on the work. Look back in verse 17 and 18. So after Nehemiah has inspected the walls, he comes back and he's given a project assessment to the people and he says, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall that we may no longer suffer derision. So he's gathering the people together. He says, look at the trouble that we're in. Look at what has happened to our home. Let's rally together. Let's rebuild the wall and look at how they responded. Let us rise up and build. So they strengthen their hands for the good work. This is the beauty of how kingdom building should be. When we see each other working for the glory of God, we ought not be able to help but want to jump in and be a part of the work that God's doing, not just in our lives, but in the lives of other people around us. When these people heard Nehemiah's plea, when they saw that he had a passion for the work, when they saw that God's hand was upon him to do it, they couldn't help but want to be a part of the project. They said, let's go, Nehemiah. Let's rise up. Let's build. Come on, guys. Get your stuff together. We're going over the wall. We're going to start work right now. And that's what happened. You see it in chapter 3. I'm going to give you guys a summary of what goes on in chapter 3. Because if you were to just read it by yourselves, you would think, well, what in the world is all this? A bunch of names I can't pronounce. What in the world is going on? But these are people rallying together to rebuild the wall. They're working for the glory of God. And it says this. It says that, it says that Eliashib and his brothers rose up and built next to them the men of Jericho built. Next to them, Zakur built. Next to him, the sons of Hassanah built. Next to them, Merimoth repaired. Next to him, Meshullam repaired. Next to him, Zadok repaired. Next to him, the Tekoites repaired. Next to them, Joeda repaired. Next to him, Melatiah repaired. Next to him, Jaden repaired. Next to him, the men of Gibeon and Mizbah repaired. Next to them, Uziel repaired. Next to him, Hananiah repaired. Next to him, Raphael repaired. Next to him, Jediah repaired. Next to him, Hashub repaired. Next to him, Shalom repaired. Next to him, Hanan repaired. Next to him, the inhabitants of Zenoah repaired. They rallied together. They linked arms with each other and they got to work side by side. And we should be doing the same thing. As I build for the kingdom of God, Next to me, Matt should be building for the kingdom of God. Next to Matt, Kyle should be building for the kingdom of God. Next to Kyle, Drew should be building. Next to Drew, Sydney should be building. Next to Sydney, Charlie should be building. Next to Charlie, Emily should be building. Next to Emily, Preston should be building. Time and time and time, we link arms with each other. That's how you get stuff done. The reason why the church of God isn't having a greater impact in the world is because we got about 17 people working in it. But a room full of people this size of college, you guys know every great spiritual awakening that has ever happened in this nation happened with college-aged people. My question is, what's going to be your excuse when you get to heaven one day and God asks you why it didn't happen again? I'm still trying to find my excuse because I missed out too. So did Matt. But you won't have to come up with one if everybody in this room will link arms together and we'll get to work on the wall. Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 3. I feel like I threw kind of a random 
title for the message that y'all tonight. But I just wonder if maybe we can make it make sense. Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 3, and the New Life version says this, Rise up and shine, for your light has come. The shining greatness of the Lord has risen upon you. For see, darkness will cover the earth, much darkness will cover the people. But the Lord will rise upon you, and His shining greatness will be seen upon you. Nations will come to your light, and kings will see the shining greatness of the Lord on you. It's time to rise and shine, men and women of God. There's a glory to be shown and a work to be done. Hey, this is Trey Mitchell, college and young adult pastor. I just wanted to say thank you for listening. It's our prayer that God uses these messages in a way that challenge and encourage you to live for His glory. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior, we would love to help you with making that decision. Just reach out to us through our webpage at underwoodbaptist.org. Be sure to check back in with us next week as we again encounter God through His Word here at Life.